Right, thank you very much. Wired for sound, yes? Okay, um, I'm not too close to the mic, am I? I feel as if sometimes I suss a bit. That's all right then. I haven't got any um, thing with Bob here. I might get a bit passionate as we go on. Let's have a little prayer then, see where the Lord leads us. Okay. Yeah, Father, thank you. Father, I ask that you would just come and, and calm the hearts of everyone here, whatever's on top, whatever's bothering us, wherever we are in our journey. Father, that you will just plant the assurance that, Father, that we are on a journey with you into the heart of God. And you have determined that that's what we should do. And there's absolutely nothing in the world that's going to stop that. So wherever we are, Father, bring relaxation into our spirit. Uh, Father, whether we feel we're lagging behind or whatever, you can put your seven league boots on and bring us up to speed. Father, come and minister to your children wherever they are, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Um, just a bit of uh, administrative detail, really. Um, don't know why I'm saying this, but I'll say it. June has now managed to put the CDs from, am I right? Yes, the Wednesdays and some of the, some of the conference ones onto my laptop i don't know what that means exactly but there they are um i, I know that you you transferred them didn't you yeah. gina onto yours yeah so apparently that's that's good apparently because i know nothing about these things at all while i was preparing for this this morning um i, j I looked at my i'm a bit behind in my daily reading you know i read through the bible in a year as you should all be doing and my reading was Numbers 33. Um, if you've got your Bibles there, it'd be good to just open it up because the Lord spoke to me through Numbers 33. The first couple of words that I read. Thank you. Did I say it was April the 4th? I think it is. Somebody's just stolen numbers out of my Bible, put it back. <laughs> it was there oh, last night. I was preparing uh, something for the next put one bat on, and I'm sitting there looking at David's notes, so thinking he's got the wrong scripture here. I can't find this in Leviticus 23. I can't find it anywhere. Oh dear, I'll have to ring him in the morning. So then I shot a quick prayer up and said, Father, please would you show me it saved me ringing him where this scripture is in Le Leviticus 23 and then my vision cleared and I saw it Deuteronomy 23 <laughs> that was why I couldn't find it I thought I would have made a great day Wally of myself ringing him has anybody got the NIV yeah, you have haven't you there yeah 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 can you read for us verse 1? Because it says it differently in my King James. Just the first sentence. One, yeah. That's it. And what jumped out at me, it says, Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And what j just arrested me was the stages and the journey. So wherever you are, 
that's where you are by God's design you might be there by default you know we get into the wilderness by design or default but either way he's there with us and as I read on further I think it's the end of of, um, Deuteronomy 33 um, he says or is it 34 he talks about being with them all the time Um, I read on a bit so it might not be it was the last verse somewhere and he said he was with them yes it's it's um numbers 35 34 where he's talking about not defiling the land that they inhabit in the midst of which i dwell for i the lord dwell among the children of israel and i thought whether we realize it or not he dwells within us i mean you can sort of lose touch with the fact that he's there inside you all the time he dwells within us um and while I was reading this, I was looking and thinking that this is all about um, manslaughter, murder, uh, cities of refuge. I don't know if any of you know anything about the cities of refuge and that in the Old Testament. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a teaching that we need to know what God thinks about murder and how he, he intends that we should deal with it and how he intends that we should deal with manslaughter. And it's all in there. Uh, as clear as anything in Deuteronomy 35 and one of the things of course is that he says about the blood spilt on the land defiles it and I thought how um, is verse 33 of Numbers 35 we'll get onto the psalm in a minute so you shall not pollute the land where you are for blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land wait for this for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it um, that made me think I feel sorry for the people who day by day perform abortions because if they don't actually repent and come to the Lord that is going to be laid against their charge the blood is being shed on the land uh, that's another issue perhaps that we need to look at at some time is, is abortion um, Anyway, there we are. Ostensibly, whoops, here I go. Look, you see, I get my revelations in the toilet. Another piece of toilet paper. I'm sitting there thinking of nothing and it all comes to me. (laughs) I don't waste any time. (laughs) Series of stops and starts. I've put stages in the journey. A series of stops and starts. Of going round again of pilgrimage. And we follow the Israelites as they journey through the wilderness. And like them, the presence is with us. And like them, our uh, instruction is to take possession of the land. You'll see that in Numbers 33, 51 to 53. Um, That that is our instruction, is to take possession of the land. And of course, coming up in the summer school is possessing the land. Um, I just had a little look. I like looking at maps. And I looked this morning about where it describes in Numbers 31 the various stops that the Israelites made. And the great loops that they made, because in my Bible it's got the little dotted line of where they stopped and went round and went on. And I thought, isn't this not like, <laughs> is this not like our journey? Stops and starts, and the heat of the day, getting fed up, sitting down. Oh, the clouds moving again. Fred, fold the tent. We're on the move. You know, it's just like our journey. Ah. I forgot to ask if he wouldn't be so kind as to turn them off. And so Numbers 33, 51 to 53 says, Take possession of the land, 
and verses 55 and 56 tells you what will happen if you don't. So with our own inner territory, as we'll be seeing in, in July, we need to be ruthless if we're going to possess the land. We can't allow uh, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all these little lights that we've got in there to live. Otherwise, um, it'll kill us off because it says it'll be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Okay. The other thing that I looked at this morning before I came to actually looking at this... Um, I'm going to have to do a wriggle because I'm not comfortable here. It was Proverbs. I always say it's a good thing to have a look at a, a chapter of Proverbs a day and I never follow my own advice. So there, there's honest. But today I looked in Proverbs 8. I don't know how I, uh, whence I came to Proverbs 8, but that's where I did come to. And there's some interesting little gems in here. Um, I'm not sure whether where it is where he says, where it says, "I wisdom dwell with prudence," <coughs> and I'm thinking that's what I want. Wisdom pun. Verse twelve is it? I wisdom dwell with prudence. Ah, yes. Um, so if you want a good prayer, it's pray for wisdom and prudence and knowledge and discretion because they're all in there. I wisdom dwell with prudence. But what uh, came to me, and I again was reading the NIV, it talked about um, in verse 26 that how delighted wisdom was to be there with God when he was doing these things. Um, and he talks, wisdom talks, she talks about verse 26 while as yet he'd not made the earth or the dust or the fields or the primal dust of the world and when he prepared the heavens I was there and it's, it's very interesting because what are we made of the dust so here we are with the dust again and it's good in the NIV the way he speaks where the way wisdom speaks of this and that he was always there rejoicing before the Lord rejoicing in what God had made and it says in verse 31 in the New King James, and my delight was with the sons of men. But I think it says in the NIV, my delight was with mankind. Delighting in mankind, thank you. Um, and I thought that, that is so interesting, that the, the delight of wisdom, the sons of God shouted for joy, didn't they, when they saw what God had done, which are the angels. So it's... God's creation was good. It was very good. Um, and what again, what came to me this morning was that we're in reading about um, the penalties for murder and um, manslaughter, and also in preparing this thing about homosexuality, we do not, if we, if we do not realize the depravity of our own nature, we will never recognize the salvation that we have to the extent that you know what a sinner you were is the extent to which you will be grateful um, I'm very blessed I came into Christianity as some of you know knowing that I was forgiven that was all I knew what, uh, that I was forgiven I didn't make a commitment I didn't come to believe I got a real heart recognition of the fact that I was a gross sinner before God and I knew it and I knew I was forgiven. And that has caused me to love him. Um, 
And I said to the Lord this morning, I don't want to slam them over the head with sin this morning because that's not your purpose. But it's not a bad thing to ask the Lord to just show you what your heart is really like uh, so that you can see what his grace is really like. Because in preparing this thing on, on homosexuality, and, and it's nothing new. That is what is so horrifying to me. And seeing how um, everything from Babylon forward has just gone into such a downward spiral, it's incredible. Um, it just helps you to, to love him. Um, oh, I just want to read something here from a little book someone gave me once. It's called Adoration by Martha Kilpatrick. And it's about Mary of Bethany. Um, and and it's, it's written almost in, in the form of poems um, about Mary versus Martha. Well, we've all got a Mary, haven't we? And we've all got a Martha. If you understand the spirit-soul division, your, your Martha is your soul. It's always cumbered about, wanting to do something, put it right, working on it, do, 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 do. But Mary is the one that she sits and rests at the feet of Jesus. But what I really wanted to look at, I bet, <laughs> this is all over the place, uh, is the fact that um, she says right at the end of the book, if you haven't got a heart like this to love him, ask him for it. And um, I just thought that is so lovely. It is just so lovely. So at the end of it, she says, a simple love. Mary loved him. That's the entire explanation of her. Many witness heard, were healed by him, but never loved him. Myriad study, read, recite, and mimic him today, but never love him. She, the illustration of the first commandment, by his first command, God revealed himself and his need to love him with her all. That's her mark, her identity, and her eternal fame. And it can be the legacy of those who comprehend her. So we must know her secret. We must know how she came to love him. Mary let herself need him by naked desperation. She received him and let him be her saviour. She let him wrench her heart with the shock of sin. She let his love burn into her heart until she loved him. Because he first loved her. Let. The magic word, the simple key, is let. A word of non-resistance, open surrender. In all the world and universe, of all who have lived and will ever live, only one loves, only one. Mary loved him with the love he gave her himself. The first commandment, love God with all your being, all your body, all your strength, all your soul, your soul all your mind, and spirit, all your heart. The amazing, exciting secret of the gospel is that God himself fulfills that commandment to all who will let him. The hidden spring of life is your considered opinion of God. Everything outward and forward is determined by this inward. The central sin of sins is simply the failure to love God because it's God's first order. Breaking it is the essential sin, the heart root from which all other sin is merely a branch. In the secret marrow of life's bare bone, do you love him? The garden's crisis was a choice, and so is yours. Love God or love self? 
Man and woman both became self-conscious lovers of self, made a god. So now humanity lives unborn and hideously inbred until God is the heart's lover, the soul's joy and the mind's rest. You do not love him like Mary? Don't worry, just choose and he will give you such a love. And I thought that is just so absolutely amazing, really. That it's just a choice um, to ask him to do in you that which you cannot possibly do. I mean, people say to me, oh, I love, I love the Lord. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I know that they don't know his love. So therefore, what they're loving him with is their eros. They're loving them with him with their soul to the extent that they can. And it's actually not acceptable because <laughs> it takes God to love God. We can only give back to him what he has given to us. So first of all, we've got to let him. And the big, 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 big problem is letting him. Uh, you know the um, healing conference and the big word there is going to be allow. Allow him, let him. Uh, because people with wounds and uh, abuses, the biggest thing is that they, they bastion themselves to stop anyone getting in. And of course that keeps the Lord out. So you're stuck in a position of total fear of letting him in for fear you're disappointed and betrayed again and hurt again. And yet you're locked in this prison of pain. But he has ways of luring you out, doesn't he? Uh, and... Uh, well, we do hope that Martin Richards will be with us. Um, and he has a ministry playing on a... Is it a saxophone, Gina? Yes. He plays the wind instruments, doesn't he, dear? Yes, that's clarinet. Clarinet. But he said, I think he's being forced to play the clarinet, and he, at the moment, <laughs> he said, much against his better judgment, the Lord kept saying, buy a clarinet. He don't want a clarinet, get a clarinet. So he got a clarinet. <laughs> but he hopefully is... The Lord will lead him to 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 pl play over people at the conference, and I think that's just going to break it open. Really, it's not going to be the words that are said; it's going to be the music, because it's, it's as a way of going very deep. So this lady says at the end of her book, "I can be the chief of Martha's. I was well named, but by that challenge, because her name is Martha." <coughs> And I've been an ardent pursuer to be a Mary to my Christ for almost 30 years. So I write by knowing both. And I end with an invitation. To you who do not know him as saviour but need him, I say ask, ask and ask again. Ask him to give you the repentance that is a door to salvation. Ask him to give you a new birth. To you who are weary with labour for him, and now see there is a way of quiet joy sitting at his feet. I say simply choose as Mary did and seek him with all the desire he gives you. And he will come to your village to find you. That is absolutely brilliant. I mean this lady's been there and back I think one way or another. And I came by this book by someone um, <coughs> who's, um, well she's, she lives quite a way away now. Uh, someone had given it to her. And she couldn't stomach it. And she gave it to me. And I think the reason she couldn't stomach it was it hit right into the seat of an emotional problem that she had and she could not cope with that. And so she gave it to me. So I haven't got my name in the front, it's got somebody else's. 
and it says hope this book blesses your socks off it didn't <laughs> she, she didn't like it but I did I loved it I just gobbled it up it's absolutely beautiful but it's one of those that you pick into you know and it just just speaks to you <laughs> it's a lovely one Mary the child it says Mary is the child to whom the father reveals his secrets she's the child who enters easily the kingdom of heaven by subtraction she lived not addition nor complex multiplication drastic reduction of adult la di da <laughs> abandonment of competition the unloading of arrogant responsibility and disinterest in the pretension of importance adults live in the future or the past sometimes both ever trying to fix the mess Mary, oblivious to the mess, just as a child would be, lived in the wonder of the moment. Now the only reality that held her fascination. Everything was this moment for Mary. All work, errors and problems. And that made her fresh, current, unencumbered. No past, no future, only the exquisite now. Um, live in the now. I was speaking to someone on the telephone the other day. No, her well. And she started in the science of, um, if only, I could have done it differently. You know, hindsight, perfect science. And uh, the funny thing was, because God is like this with me, a few moments before, I'd found some papers of um, someone whom I counseled for about a year, worked very hard with, and it went pear shape at the end of the day. And I didn't know I'd still got them, so I needed to shred them. And I started to read these things, and I was just about to think, now, if I had... Da -da -da -da. And the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. So I thought, all right, I won't. <laughs> Stopped immediately, shredded the papers. Next minute, girlie comes on the phone. So I said, stick a message up round your house. Don't go there. Just don't go there. Uh, Sue and I were talking this morning. There is a case for reviewing something you've just done when you think flipping it I fell right in that one but it's not an if only uh, or I could how else could I have done it you know well sometimes there's that I remember when I worked at Bexley and I'd lose my rag or something and I'd get convicted by the Lord and I'd sit there and say well how else could I have done it you know or, and he would show me and I'd think well if you put it like that I suppose I could <laughs> It was always much nicer and gentler than yours truly had actually done it. You know. But by that we learn. It's good to do a review. When you've gone through a situation, or even if you haven't, it's good to just say, Father, just show me what I'm learning right now. Through the circumstances, the situations of life, it's a, it's a learning curve. It stops and starts on your journey. Um, I've just think I've managed to get someone over in Frinton to start a journal. She came at the weekend. I said, journal? I'm not doing a diary. I said, no, darling, not a diary. I don't want to know when you've gone to the shops and bought your sprouts. Are you having a Well, God's not talking. And no, it's not that either. It's just, what are you reading? What is it saying? What is he doing in your life? How's your communication with it? Put it down there so as you can see. I haven't actually filled my journal in this morning because um, I did wake up feeling a bit like a piece of chew string, looked in the mirror and thought, how do you disguise those bags under your eyes this morning? <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. We shall pray about that later.
So we might r perhaps get round to Psalm 132 now, which we're making our way quite rapidly through. I go in the right direction in my Bible. I think, I think what I've just opened up on, and it's it's not anything to do, it's a bit, another bit of my paper, isn't it? You see, my, my Bible is littered with these things. And this looks like something from the time when I was having this difficulty with this person. And the Lord said to me, when you move into carnality, you cut yourself off from me. As I confessed this, the barrier went, must stay in the spirit. Carnal mind is at war with God. Romans 8, 7. I was swept along in my fear of what she might do and moved into the natural. Humble yourself constantly and stand before God in your spirit man. Because one of the dangers in this... Oh, there's another bit here. <laughs> one of the d dangers that, in fact, the chief... Um, uh, uh, it used to be probably possibly not our chief area of risk now but y as a charity you have to write out what your chief area of risk is and ours is that people uh, um, as our l legal beagle wrote it out for us that people will perceive that their needs are not being met by Oasis and will take action accordingly by that he meant that they might try to commit suicide because we have in the past dealt with very damaged people and if anyone has dealt with those, you know that the primary thing is and their biggest manipulation of you is that they will actually harm themselves. Uh, and that is a, that's a hard one to walk through when you have to say things that will bring them from one place to another. Uh, and yet you know the risk is that they might teeter over the top with it. And another bit here, all these little gems. Must be a bit on the other foot. No, no, no. Keep your eyes, get your eyes off the circumstances and on to me. He actually says she will come through, but that's not your primary concern. Your primary concern is me. Keep your eyes on me. Everything else is subsidiary. That's good for anybody else, anyone. Keep your eyes on him. Everything else is subsidiary. Right, we will move. You never know what God's going to bring out, do you? So we're looking at Psalm 132 on our way up on the Psalms of Ascent. And that's a journey. As we said this morning, already a series of stops and starts uh, to, in order to take possession of the land and come into the place that God, that Jesus won for us. He won a place for us, you know. Uh, it tells us in Ephesians, seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He won that place for us. And so our life is a journey to coming into the realisation of that. So that as Graham Cook says, when he prayed and said to the Lord, open the windows of heaven, the Lord said, come up here and do it yourself. So you've got to come to the place where you're actually up there opening the windows of heaven and being a blessing to other people because that's where you stand and you know you do. Get a different view from up there. But last week we, just going recapping a bit, uh, I dipped into the Song of Songs of which I have now got permission to teach on on a Monday night. <laughs> I tried to do Christian growth, and oh, crumbs, this is turgid. I'm not enjoying this at all. I thought, it's just, it's just, it's like wading through treacle. 
and I'd prayed about what to do and I felt the Lord say the uh, day before yesterday why don't you do Song of Songs that's what you want to do oh, yes so I'll have a little t tickle into the Song of Songs there while I'm busy tickling other things so, but last week we just looked um, in the song we looked at it uh, uh, where he's saying to her rise up rise up my love my fair one and come away this is Song of Songs 2, um, verse 10 and 11. For the load, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth and the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is in our land. And she's facing there a spiritual crisis. She didn't want to get up. He's knocking on the door of her heart to bring her out of her comfort zone and into mature bridal partnership. But she doesn't want to get up. She's happy where she is there. And this season brings about changes in her life. And the time frame between verses, um, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 2, 8 could be a week, a month or 10 years. It's different for all of us. Depends on how quickly we actually move our feet and come into alignment with what God's asking for us. But in verse 2, 17, she refuses I'm comfortable here she says go away <laughs> until the day breaks and the shadows flee turn my beloved don't trouble me now <laughs> I've married a wife I've bought me a cat you know that one how does it start Joyce I cannot come I cannot come to the banquet don't trouble me now I have married a wife I have bought me a cow I have lands and commitments that cost a pretty sum pray hold me excused I cannot come it's the parable of the wedding banquet and we learnt the whole thing didn't we from when we did the banquet it's one by one they say I'm too busy and I will say I've bought me a cow and married a wife no I've bought me a wife and married a cow <laughs> <laughs> edit <laughs> that's the pity of it you can't edit my little aside can you <sighs> so here she is saying turn my beloved be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains up off I don't want to be bothered right now so she refuses to leave the comfort zone and the issue before her is is Jesus a safe place is he a safe God is it safe to obey him 100% and in the flesh it seems safer to be in the boat without Jesus instead of on the water with him. Uh, but we very quickly find that that is not, not a good place to be. So coming into Psalm 132, um, we come to the place, we looked at Psalm 131 which was all about humility and submitted strength and brokenness before the Lord. And when we pass that threshold of humbling ourselves, he then reorganizes our priorities. When we really give him the, the uh, permission to come in and do as he wants to do, we would all say, oh yeah, I'm 100% for the Lord. Well, one of these days I'm going to give you a pie chart to fill in and you will actually find out how much area of your life he has got. It can be quite a shock. You know, divide it up with the areas that you still actually like to keep control of. You know, well, I don't know. Uh, which aren't actually thoroughly yielded over to him, but that's okay. It's but it's good to know yourself. Um, the girlie that came over at the weekend, she phoned yesterday to give her a bit of a um, 
another another tough talking to but Joyce said to me when she prayed for me in the morning I think you're going to bring a sword today and I thought oh no that was the last thing I wanted to do um, but in the end uh, she got a picture drew it showed it to me and I thought, oh no I know what that is <laughs> so I said let's ask the Lord what it is being as I am you know bat it over we prayed, she said, God said, you've got the interpretation. <laughs> Which put me firmly on the spot. What she had was a picture of a jug. And it had a belly on it, this jug. Uh, but it had stuff pouring in the top and pouring out the bottom. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I thought, you're pretending to be pregnant with something. But actually, it's dropping straight through. You're not retaining anything. So that's a nice one to have to try and wrap up and tell someone, you know. So I had to gently say, well, I think the joke... She's, I said, what do you think it is? Oh, I think it's the church. I said, I think with prophetic words, we have to apply them to ourselves first. <laughs> Just let's ask the Lord if it's us first, and then we'll move a bit further. What do you think it is then? I'm going, oh, dear, here we go. <laughs> so I told her, and she was duly absolutely shattered. Uh, and then she rang yesterday to say, I've had a reality check, thank you. <laughs> you see, if you, love, agape, actually doesn't hold back from correction. Because if we do, and we just say, oh, no, no, yes, poor old you, aren't they awful to you, you know, no, 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 no. We're doing them no good at all. Sympathy gets in the muck with them and wades around in there. But empathy and agape will say, well, actually, I think this is a bit of sowing and reaping, so give us your hand and I'll pull you out of there. But sometimes that's not altogether tasty to have to do, and we, we, we need the love to go along with it and the encouragement to go along with it. Otherwise, we need the mind of Christ. I had, uh, years ago, do you remember Carol Terry and her mum? We were at one of early, early, early on, and Carol Terry's mum said, I have the mind of Christ, and I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> but I realised what she'd done. She'd taken the scripture that says we have the mind of Christ and thought, well, I've got it. You know, <laughs> I didn't know at that point what was wrong with it, but I knew that it was wrong. <laughs> I've been working towards it ever since. Bless her. Uh, so Carol was the girlie that was instrumental in bringing me to the, to the Lord, which was absolutely brilliant. Took me like a trophy to a house group. <laughs> all these people I'd never been in a house group before. Little tiny room, and I'm looking around. There's all these people, great big grins on their face. I'm thinking, what's this? <laughs> what we're coming to? You know, here she is. You know, the one we've been praying for. <laughs> It's absolutely amazing because Sue and Carol worked together, and uh, I mean I was um, up in the echelons somewhere, um, and and uh, in a terrible state. Used to go to work drunk, banging off the doorpost. How I ever drove there, I don't know. Um, but she used to come and put these little texts across the table to me. You know, God is love, John three sixteen, and I'm thinking, yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. I got a pile of them, and she used to cut them out with pinking shears. <laughs> She was very bold because she kept coming and shoving them out. And then one day she draped herself over the filing cabinet and said, I'm getting baptised on Sunday. Would you like to come and see? I said, well, I was baptised when I was little. And she sort of very patiently said, no, not like that. 
I'm going to go under the water. I thought, what's a funny thing to do? <laughs> anyway, God had his way, praise his name, and brought me to my knees. I'm so glad he did. Ah, so anyway, back to the script. We're going to see what God's priorities and what our preoccupations should be. You know, we started, do you remember the um, the poem on time? Um, Lord, I have time. All the time in the world, you know, and in the middle of it, it says, no time, too, too busy, no time. I think there's something very similar in this book here I saw this morning. Time is something we can never get back. The treasure of time. Just have a little think about it. Once you have spent time, you can't get it back. It's gone for good. And we talk about spending time, wasting time, passing time, buying time. You know. So this this one says the treasure of time, and I know that it's the word for the church this year, or one of the words for the church this this year is what are you doing with your time? Time is the treasure of life. Time is life. Time is the willing sacrifice that you offer up to the worship of what you love. Don't tell me what you love. Tell me what you spend your time on, and I'll tell you what you love. The dispensing of time, the investment of time, is the exposure of what you truly love. You give your time to your cherished treasure. You do. Frenzy says there is no time left for God. Hurry cannot live the life of Mary. Haste insults him. It says there are other important, more urgent activities than being with the Lord of the universe. It takes giving him the costly gift of time to find him, to hear his heart, to gain the wisdom of where to spend your riches of time. Many give their lives to him, who do not give their time. To the frantic, Mary's life was a waste, a waste of time and energy on Jesus. To the busy, time is always critically short. There is not enough time for the ambitions and the worried. Their many works are more than their shoulders can carry, more than their hours can cover. They're like Martha, always behind and ever in self-pity because of it. Their efforts are their own, Jesus did not call for them and cannot be blamed when efforts do not succeed or give fulfillment. Time is the shining jewel that Satan steals. We do not understand its value as much as he does. If he can get your time, he has you without God. Your time is your life. So by noble demands and foolish distractions, he ekes away the minutes of your eternity. There's an all-out war for your time, a relentless and clever scheme to fill your days with what is not good, not God, sorry, what is not for him or even about him. Martha was the unwitting instrument of that fiendish, fiendish enemy to call foolish and irresponsible in Mary what was really God's highest and best. Thus it will always be, there is a fight to be a Mary. It takes strong-hearted resistance to defend the preciousness of your own time. To lose your time is to lose your destiny. To squander time is to waste your only wealth. 
It's again what uh, Graham is saying, isn't it? Time is the only commodity you have, not money. But Satan will get you to look at the fact that money is your commodity and it isn't his time. There is abundant time for your assignment, for God's authentic will. Plenty of time to listen and ample time to accomplish. God set the earth on the axis of time and when he rules it is like all his gifts, an extravagant supply. God requires in this day the offering of time. Give time to God and you become rich in him. For to give time is to give yourself and he gives himself in return. God is ever real about time and humanity's limited span. So whatever is given to him is multiplied by the mystery of his transcendence over time and space. Time given to him is returned, enlarged, expanded by a multiplication that cannot be comprehended. Mary lavished time on him because she deemed him worth it. Martha had no time for him, only a period to work for him and a labour he rejected as a real waste of time. To Martha, Jesus was not worthy of her focused attention, and this he painfully knew by watching how she spent her time. Uh, they're sober words, but God only ever draws us in uh, and sort of wraps us over the knuckles if he wants to give us something. And Derek Prince says, well, we ha hold on to it in our sticky little hand, thinking that, you know, if we give it to God, we're losing it. He cannot multiply it. It's only in putting it into his hands that the multiplication takes place. I was reading this morning about the loaves and the fishes because that was in my New Testament reading. The little boy, there's all these people. He got five loaves and two fishes, was it? Or two loaves and five fishes, whatever he had. Five loaves and two fishes, three fishes, whatever he had. And he could in the natural have looked around and thought, well, look, up. this won't do anybody any good. It's not going to go anywhere. But Jesus is saying, has anyone got any food? So he toddles up amongst all these people and puts it into his hands, into the Lord's hands. And instantly the multiplication takes place. So whatever you place into his hands, he will multiply and feed other people. When I was first down here, I'll stop in a minute, give you a natural break. Um... I was sitting in the lounge, Joyce was doing something in the kitchen and I just saw my hands coming together on a piece of bread and I broke it and I gave it and then my hands came back again, more bread, broke it and gave it and the faster I came back, the, the more the bread came into my hands, breaking and giving, breaking and giving, breaking and giving. And that's many, many years ago. Uh, and then when we came here, we'd been here some years, a young Polish girl came here and she looked at me, I was sitting where Sue was sitting, and she looked at me and she said, you're giving birth to something. And yeah, she said, it's like bread. You're, you're birthing bread. And it was almost like I could see it, you know, <laughs> it was just like clouds of bread being birthed. So now I'm in the place of giving it. It's, you give it to God. And he breaks it and gives it to other people. It's not for you to hold to yourself. Because if you do like, like the manna, it'll go rotten. It's got to be given away. Whatever it is you give to him, he will multiply. Give back to you to give away to somebody else. Because you're never going to have a need. 
because as soon as your hands come back together, it give you more to give away. Mm. You, can't, you can't, it gets so fast, you can't <laughs> outgive God. It's all part, isn't it, of getting to that place of relaxation and really recognizing uh, that it's the Lord of the universe with whom we have to do. Right, if my sound lady would switch me off for a tick, that'd be nice. Just as well you didn't get that welcome back from your natural break. I don't believe in knocking you out too much. Okay, Father, just see where he's going to take us. That is a, that is a, a wren out there singing in the garden. And he's ever so pleased with himself. He's building a nest, isn't he, Joyce? We lost him a few years ago, or, or his missus, because the cat got it. Anyway, so here we are with Psalm 132 and David making this progress up to uh, Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And we looked, didn't we, at uh, David really throwing everything to the winds because he loved the Lord so much. And he really didn't care. He was no longer concerned about his position in front of people. And uh, because of David's attitude of heart, the Lord was pleased with him. And David had a passion for God. And that's really what we're talking about with um, Mary and Martha. If we don't have a passion, let's ask for it. In the beginning of the song, she says, draw me, draw me, draw me. If you've got no other prayer, draw me. If your heart is as cold as a piece of stone, draw me. Because it's all his work. No, no one comes to the Father except the Father draw him. So we need to be drawn. Uh, you can say that as cold-bloodedly as you like, draw me. And you will find that he will, because he, his passion for us is, is, is incredible. His faithfulness and his love, you know, though we're fickle, he remains faithful. So we were looking uh, at the way of the pilgrim, and it's a way of passion. And I sort of coined this phrase that pilgrimage plus passion equals propulsion. <laughs> because when you've got pilgrimage and passion together, it will propel you into the purposes of God. Um, it's, it's, it's Sue was speaking this morning about how Robin was describing me like a, um, a bowling wood. Um, and he, he said sometimes it will, it's because it's a bias on a bowling wood, it will go, it'll go, take a curve. But he says it takes that curve just so <laughs> it can go round something and hit the target. <laughs> that was really quite funny. Uh, but ideally, we need a passion that takes us straight through the critical path, you know. And the way of the pilgrim is the way of passion. And if we're going to enter into the fullness of God's presence and power, it's going to require a passion for God because he, he is... Um, a God of passion and he cares deeply about what happens to us and he's purposeful and intentional about us he's not just wound it up like a clockwork orange this world of ours and let it run down and the purposes of God are coming to fruition right now someone was with us on Monday night and saying to me well how do you know that we're in the how do you know that time is so short and you know I can't really explain it except that it's in here that Jesus, the, the breath of the bridegroom, is on our cheek. He's coming down. He's coming back for his people. And I just said to her, well, what if he comes tonight? Are you ready? 
You need to be ready because the moment he comes, you'll go, ah, I wish I hadn't been doing that. He's not going to condemn you, but the instant that you're with him face to face, you will sort of think, why did I not spend more time actually seeking him and his will and finding out what he wanted to do in and through me? Because this is the one we're going to be with for eternity. I think we lose sight of that a lot. That we are corporately his bride and we're like a part of the bride that's been left because the rest of the bride's in heaven. We're a remnant. There's always a remnant. Uh, I wondered for a long time about this remnant business because you get people coming and saying, well, yes, I'm part of the remnant. And I think to myself, what you mean is I'm elite. You're not part of the remnant, but I am. One of the ones I've heard recently is that the people in Wales are part of the lost tribe of Israel. Oh, yeah? And I'm thinking, then the band played Believe It, if you like. I didn't know there was a lost tribe of Israel. I thought, well, I'll part of the church, dear. I don't mind what you are, but there we are. And it leads to elitism. It leads to a, a feeling of pride that I'm different, you know. But actually, when I was praying about this and saying to the Lord, what is this business about a remnant? What is this bit about this bit? And he said, well, just have a little think about it. How many do you think are up there already? Oh, at any one time, there's only a remnant left on the earth because the majority of the bride are in heaven already. Just up there waiting for the fullness of time when we all get to have our wedding breakfast and put our frock on, the fellas and all. <laughs> I thought, that just about explains it. God is not partial. And when you come to looking at the end times and you get the... Um, pre-tribulational rapture they're halfway through the tribulation rapture and the end of the tribulation rapture and of course some f schools of thought say well if you're not good enough to go up in the first rapture you have to go through the fire first and then by the time it happens the second time in the middle then you go up then but by then you've you know you've had your ears boxed and been seen to a bit and then so yeah and if you really don't make it you go up at the end i mean give us a break what that is is the heart of man not the heart of god And uh, what do we do? What can we do? You know, I mean, all we can do is hand our hearts over to God and say, would you mind pulverizing it like a piece of steak and tenderizing my heart? Uh, because the love of God is wider than the measures of man's mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind, as we will see when we look at the whole subject of homosexuality. It's not sloppe agape. Um, I was saying to June last night in studying this what I've seen is that the holiness code in Leviticus has not and it was for Israel has not been expunged in the New Testament it's in our hearts so it's a um, com it's, I think it's an oxymoron is that the right use of the word to say that uh, you can have a gay church you can't because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he wrote a holiness code for Israel way back there, guess what? It's still extant now. So there must be a missing ingredient there somewhere. Uh, and, and of course what it is at the moment is compromise and sloppy agape. Because um, the more I look at this whole situation uh, and, and look, and I won't go into it now, homosexuality and studying it and looking at what God said and 
seeing that the the incidence of it in the nations around Israel um, and indeed even now in in the world at large it's man's uh, fallen nature it's his lust it's his sarks this body of ours you know has actually got its appetites uh, and if they are not brought under control they'll go down and they're worse than animals uh, worse than animals because animals at least st stick to their own kind uh, but man will just go and make with anything given half a chance um, it's the 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 debauchery the fallenness it's it was in doing this that I I began to really realize all over again the sinful nature that we have we've all inherited and it, of course it doesn't stay at the level it was when Adam fell the first thing that happened there was murder then the next thing that happened was God had to bring a flood because of what was going on and then the next thing we get is so judgment Sodom and Gomorrah because the whole thing is just getting worse so it's at a point he stops it in order that he will have enough people for his bride you know to allow us to come to the ends of his plan as it were um, anyway I don't want to go off there but as I said when we started, we do have to recognize that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Mm. Mine is. I don't know about yours, but I know that mine is. And I know the first thing I will do is defend myself and therefore in doing that I will blame someone else. That's something I have to guard against all the time. Oh, Joyce has left that there. If she hadn't left that there, I wouldn't have fallen over. You know, it's the ding, the blameometers. <laughs> Jen Larkham had such fun with. <laughs> she did have fun with that one. Have I told you about that one? Oh. Well, I discovered we had this blameometer, or I did, you know. Um, when something went wrong, immediately looking for someone to blame for it, and it was scored 10 on the blameometer, went up, the, you know, when they used to hit the thing with the hammer at ting on the top there. Well, she and her team came one night, this was about a year or so ago, maybe a bit longer. And I was saying to her about this, you know, we've got this blameometer. And she grinned and saw the funny side of that. And there were raised eyebrows and looking at each other. Next time I saw her, she said, you know your blameometer. She, we went to do something somewhere. And she had the team with her. And something was wrong or forgotten. And she went to breathe. And she looked at the person who'd forgotten it at the back of the thing and went, ting, on the blameometer. <laughs> so instead of it being, uh, you know, tension and strife they just fell about nobody else knew what they were laughing about um that uh, there we are won't tell too many stories out of there because we're going on this aren't we yes that was one i'm just trying to remember it do you remember <laughs> when carol went with marilyn marilyn the blind singer and carol was there to, to look after put her makeup on and one thing and another and somehow or other marilyn carol and the makeup bag got divorced <laughs> And Car it was somewhere where Carol had to walk right the way through the whole of the audience, looking quite nonchalant, to find this makeup bag because she needed to make Marilyn up before she could come on stage. And she said she felt like, you know, huge walking right the way through this thing and coming back with this little bag to get Marilyn up. I can't fully remember the story, but it was so funny the way she described it. There we are. Water carrier, you know. Not Elijah. And Elisha mind so God cares deeply about what happens to us and if we're going to make pilgrim in 
into the very presence and power of God and we're going to grow up in Jesus and be conformed to his image it's not going to happen by some sort of apathetic and laid back indifferent attitude we do actually have to stir ourselves passionate commitment in seeking and serving the things of God and we're going to have to be like David who is spoken of as having a heart after God he wasn't perfect was he David by a long chalk but he was passionate he could dance before the Lord with all his might and he could humble himself before the Lord because he actually refused to be at ease until he'd prepared a dwelling place for God well and where's our dwelling place it's in our heart isn't it God's dwelling place is in here and uh, maybe one of the subjects that we'll be doing in the summer on um, the summer school will be who's building the house who's building the house in here we I don't know if we've still got it but we got a card from uh, Jenny Booth once didn't we from over in Frinton when she'd been praying for us here and the Lord said he was building a house here not made with hands like like it says in Daniel he he was building the house and when God is building something you don't dare put your hands on it because if you do you would be like Azza uh, you know about Azza and the ark he put his hand on the ark re reached out to straighten it shouldn't have been on on the cart in the first place and uh, smitten so David was passionately involved with his God and we must be the same if we're going to find that place of abiding if we're going to get into what Jesus has won for us on the cross it says in Isaiah doesn't it he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied I want him to be satisfied with what he travailed for in my life I can't speak for anybody else but I, ca I do want him to be satisfied for what he travailed for because I believe that the moment that we see what we were saved for we will think as I said before why didn't I focus myself more why was I so earthbound I, I know I've told this story before that I've had that experience of seeing into the, uh, where we're going just before I came into a very hard time in my life my son had just been married three months and he to a lovely girl and he started to have an affair with somebody else broke the girlie's heart but at the point that I had this vision I didn't know that was happening and I sat up in bed one Sunday ready to fling myself out with gay abandon and suddenly I could see eternity and I wanted it and I was straining to get forward to get at this place but it was like a backpack on my back I couldn't I'm trying to push this thing off because it was holding me back and I realized in an instant that was my physical body that was holding me back from getting there but what I saw gave me a glimpse of eternity and I can hold that before myself and I, I know what this physical body is like how it limits us in the things of God it limits us because of its demands it limits us because it needs to be got control over it just limits us it, our mind limits us because it wants to take us off somewhere else got to get control of these things um, but the place that we are going the instant we see it everything else fell from me I, I, I knew that I knew I, I, nothing mattered 
And I know that the instant we go to be with the Lord, whatever has been cumbering you about in this life, be gone. It'll just be gone. You won't be able to remember it or anything. So the key is to get uncumbered now, isn't it? Um, because I, I want to be like Smith Wigglesworth, but you know, you know the story of Smith. He s sat down in the chair and died when he was in mid-conversation with someone. I want to be like Moses. Come up to Mount Nebo and die there. Excuse me. Mount Nebo, pretty steep. Get your staff, come up to Mount Nebo and die there. <laughs> Draw your feet up under you and go to be with your father. I mean, just think about it a minute. I can't be with you tomorrow. I'm going to die tonight. I'm, I'm just going up to Mount Nebo to pop my clogs. He went in full vigour. I'm going to want to be like Moses. That's what the... Roger Price said, didn't he? He wanted to die at a fall from the pulpit when he was 90, didn't he? Do you remember that? Have you heard him say that? That was the way he was preferred way of going. He was going to die in a fall from the pulpit. He actually died about 39, didn't he? He'd done his job and he went home. The quicker you do your job, the quicker you go home. You know, in our house, when, when I was little, we used to, if anything broke, the, the expression used to be, oh, it's gone home. Now, as I've become a Christian, I have realized what they were saying, though they didn't realize it. For us, going home is to be with the Lord. Gone home on your tombstone. <laughs> gone home. Yeah, gone home. So we used to say, oh, it's going home, it's breaking. You see? But because this country really at one stage was very biblically based and it was it was it, we were good we were a christian country we no longer are uh, but we were once and so these things these sayings and my mother used to say to me man doesn't live by bread alone and what, <laughs> what she meant was I, was I was not fulfilling what she wanted at the time <laughs> and i thought I wonder where that comes from <laughs> found out didn't i so do you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, um, Joyce set me on fire the night before the meeting and we, we had a f fire, didn't we? It was a bit fiery, wasn't it? <laughs> See my wife make toast, <laughs> as Basil Baldy said. <laughs> Never forgotten that. So if, if we are passion, we need to ask him to give us a passion because everything comes from him. From him. A natural won't do, it must be from the spirit. We've got to start asking him. In alignment with what he wants to give us, uh, you know, there's that joke, isn't there, that of the world and and um, there was Gary and Christine came from Gary and Christine comes from uh, as it, as the sun starts to rise on the west and the Lord hears the prayers of His people coming up. It's gimme, 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 gimme. <laughs> it's what He starts to hear the chorus of, and then there's one person down there who's praying for the Lord's will to be done. And he says, wait, wait, just a moment. Listen, silence in heaven. And he points down to this one person who isn't asking for the gimmies. Give me this, give me that. He says, give him what he wants. But that was, that was Gary and Christine. They were, they were on fire, weren't they? She was Mexican, wasn't she? Didn't she? Mexican? Mexican? Yeah. She's like Mexican, Mexican background, wasn't she? Lovely. And Gary was a, absolutely looked like a, a double of my son. So it was very difficult for me not to identify 
um, with this American guy. They rang up one day and we were going on holiday. Hey, honey, these these chicks are flying the nest. <laughs> I've flown the coop. <laughs> these chicks have flown the coop. <laughs> this is so funny. They're in Cyprus now. Mm-hmm. Doing something we can't talk about because uh, they they're really up the sharp end of it. But uh, passion, they just live live. We've got some of his dad's books, haven't we? Actually, that were passed on to us. Anyway, so pilgrimage requires passion if we're going to be propelled into the presence and power of God. I want my life to matter. Uh, not in terms of making a name for myself. I don't want that. But I want it to matter for God so that I've done what he's actually called me to do. Because when I first became a Christian, and I, w- I was 48, I, I remember realizing that actually I had wasted a lot of time. And I asked him to make up the years that the locusts had ate in order that I could fulfill everything that he had actually called me to do. Because I went forward at a Billy Graham, the first Billy Graham meeting in this country I went forward I didn't understand what it was no follow up no nothing went to church got religious joined the choir that lasted about six months didn't know what I'd got went on a huge spiritual bungee jump but bounced on that trampoline Mark Grace and went up again Um, and he's made up the time so we have to burn with a holy fire, uh, but it doesn't consume us, but it burns off all the dross. And just like that burning bush that Moses saw, it burned, but it wasn't consumed. So we need to pray for the burning. John Wesley spoke of it as a strangely warmed feeling. Has anybody ever ever experienced the burning, the warming of the Holy Spirit within? Uh, that's it, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's not like being drunk. It's it's an inner fire. Like the the disciples on, on the road to Emmaus said, uh, did not our hearts burn within us? There is a sensation of fire within. Um, and that, that was what John Wesley was spe- speaking of, a strangely warm feeling. D.L. Mo- Moody spoke of it. All the great men of God came into that burning presence where their heart was deeply stirred and then nothing would satisfy them but God himself. He puts the passion in you and then nothing will satisfy you. I'd be absolutely satisfied to spend all my time studying, soaking it up, being with him. But he says, take in to give out. This is what I'm busy doing at the moment, taking in, so that I can give out, light somebody else's fire a bit. So as we enter into the presence and power of God, his priorities become ours. And we find our will coming into alignment with his, and the things that previously had our affections will no longer have them. They'll drop away. When I first got born again, the things that held on to me just went one after the other, was not interested. I mean, for several years, all I'd done, really, in my spare time was paint. Sue will bear witness to that. Night and day, canvas after canvas, watercolour, it just, it was consuming me to do that. Got it out of my system. When I became a Christian, he asked me to give it back. 
I'll do anything you ask me to do for now, Sparky. Anybody know Sparky's magic piano? Uh, Sparky had this magic piano, uh, and it used to be a piano that would play. He All he had to do was pass his hands over the keys, and he would be like a concert pianist. And it was very popular, Rob, back of, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, you know, on the radio. And uh, so you would hear him playing like this. And then one day the piano said to him, I'll play anything in that sort of piano voice. I'll play anything you want me to play for now, Sparky. And one night I was going home and I felt that came into my mind. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And he said, I want you to give me back the gift that I've given you of painting and drawing. And So I, I did gave it back to him when I came down to the fellowship and said that the Lord had told me to surrender oh no 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 and it was at that point I realized you don't tell people too much <laughs> you just do your business with God and do what he tells you you start telling other people they'll persuade you out of it God's told me to do this as it all <sighs> he wouldn't ask that of you wouldn't he someone once said to me well God wouldn't humiliate you would he and I thought wouldn't he he's done it to me on a number of occasions Egg on your face, Beryl, you know. Yes, he does humiliate us because actually that is pride and it needs to be broken. <laughs> so if it needs be, he'll do it. <laughs> anyway, we'll wind up, won't we? How much time have I got? Anybody know? Oh, right, I think it's time to stop then, don't you? What we're aiming at, you see, is what um, the Song of Song calls song of songs called bridal partnership so that we are yoked with him doing what he wants to do we're yoked with him and in bridal partnership with him the husband and the wife when they're first married they go together they do things together they work together and his aim is that his bride is in bridal partnership with him but to do that she has to be mature so she goes round this journey to come into maturity to actually then be able to work where he's working and then she she will go wherever he leads we played played it last week didn't we wherever you lead me wherever you lead me so we come to the place uh, where he invites us to come into bridal partnership and she aligns herself with him and his interests and not her own when we start living, realizing that we are living with his interests as our priority and not ours, we know we're beginning to come into bridal partnership because we're aligned with his interests. So his interests for the nation, for people, for the church will be aligned with our own. Our will is right in line with his. Father, thank you that you just never leave us alone. And thank you, Father, that you will bring us to the place that you have prepared for us. And whether we come willingly or kicking and screaming is really up to us, but bring us you will. Father, thank you that your word says that you are in us, both to will and to do. We just want to bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.